Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Valley West Cinemas, the podcast where we take a group of films and eliminate all but three. This is part two of our serial killer movies. In other words, the movies I don't have Hannibal Lecter in them, but some of them should because that would make it a lot better. I mean, come on, just imagine if they had Hannibal Lecter like in Copycat. That's funny. Holly Hunter, Ghost Hannibal Lecter instead of Sigourney Weaver. Why not? I mean, that yeah. could be a totally actually. Fun movie. I know you. I know before we hit record on this part again, you did say that you wanted to do American Psycho next. But since we just mentioned Copycat, okay, well. I, I want to say something specific though because with Copycat, look at the formula compared to Silence of the Lambs because Copycat came out in '95, so it was definitely influenced by the success of Silence. It's about cops trying to catch a serial killer, and they go to someone who is holed up somewhere, who is an expert to get their help, who has previous experience with another serial killer. The, the big thing in Silence of the Lambs, one of the big things in Silence of the Lambs was Clarice is like the only woman who's actually on the force. She's not a victim. She's not a mother. She's a woman actually trying to catch the serial killer. Right. Although it's worth pointing out that Kazi Lemons, if I'm saying her name correctly, plays her best friend who's also a trainee. Mm-hmm. But it's out in the wild, so to speak. It's at the sheriff's office. Yes. It's with all these other scientists and such. She's always surrounded by men. And so I don't know if they're trying to say that the FBI is changing or the FBI is modern and these small sheriff towns are not. Or both. Or both, but whatever. So copycat, I am shockingly a person who loves movies. I love cinema. I love theaters. No. I know, right? I don't love all the jerks who make noises and make the theater experience poor. I hate them. I hate them so much. But I love the movies. I love going to the movies. Copycat is one of the only movies I've ever snuck into. I'm a firm believer in paying wait, for wait, content. Wait, what is this? You, oh, hang on, I'll get to it. You pay for content, okay? I hate people who try to sneak in through like exit doors or whatever. I, I, I hate these people so much. But Copycat, I actually was carded. And so I've always looked slightly older when I was younger, you know, and I'm, I'm a tall dude. And so... I can name like the three movies I've ever been refused to ticket to. One was called The Good Son with Macaulay Culkin <laughs> and Copycat and then Kids in the Hall Brain Candy. So I actually did have to buy a ticket for another movie and sneak into Copycat. It's one of the only times I was ever refused a ticket. What was the movie you bought for? I do not know. You don't have it still? You should still have that ticket somewhere. Oh, no, I do have the stub, but I have no idea what the movie was at this point. Oh. Like 95, good God. So I actually did have to sneak into Copycat. I loved it. I think it's I think it's fantastic. Kind of like Red Dragon, it has that sort of Hollywoodized feel. There's not mm -hmm. a whole bunch of style to it. But, and this is might be semantics for some, Red Dragon being 2002, Copycat being 1995. Copycat has a very 90s feel that I really appreciate. <laughs> it may not have been a purposeful style. Intentional. Intentional style, correct, by the filmmakers. But watching it even only a few years later, it's very 90s. <laughs> Clothing, the style, even the, even the way it's made, it's mm -hmm. made like 90s movies were made. And there is an era, to me at least, from about 1997 to 2005, where, to me, mainstream filmmaking was not great. Not really, it's, now. It's this weird era where they're figuring out CG. I don't like the look of a lot of those movies in that, in that particular era. But Copycat is a little bit before that, and it still looks good. It looks like a 90s cop serial killer movie. That works for me. That does a lot for me. I loved it back then, and I still love Copycat, but I'm not going to say... It's good in the way like Silence is, but it's definitely enjoyable. I like it a lot. Well, if we compare every movie on this list to Silence of the Lambs, it's going to be really hard to find anything well, even close to it. It's not necessarily comparison like that. I, I get what you're saying, but it's definitely influenced. Copycat was made because Silence came out. And For so there's it, definitely it, influence there. It is a copycat. Yeah. Very similar story, very similar characters, but... A killer is copying popular serial killers. 
do we need to talk about taste? Because this fictional film with a serial killer is copying the murders from real life. And this fake killer in this fake movie is copying them. And I'm just thinking, you know, this is only 95. This is not that long after the 70s. There are human beings and family members who are alive who knew the people who were killed. And Yeah, why not just have fake ones at that point? They could even be similar, but like the Hillside Stranglers, they were still alive at this it's point. The same, it's the same reason for making sequels and remakes. It's an IP. It's a famous name that people recognize. That's all. I like the movie, and in it, Sigourney Weaver plays some sort of like a, she's an author, but like a criminal psychologist or something like that. She has agoraphobia because she was attacked by Harry Connick Jr., who was a serial killer, but he was caught. And so she is now traumatized and won't leave her apartment because she has agoraphobia. And there's this new killer, Holly Hunter, who's a cop, and Dermot Mulroney uh, is the other cop. They go to her for help, for her expertise. And at some point, they do a video call with Harry Connick Jr., who's the other killer. Mm -hmm. It's very Silence of the Lambs in that regard. But I, I just like this movie so much. I like Holly Hunter a lot. And spoilers, her cop partner, Dermot Mulroney, is killed in a way that's not exaggerated. It's not stylish. It's not even related to the main story. Just a guy in the police station tries to fight to get away and grabs another cop's gun and shoots him. And, and it's just so out of nowhere and shocking. And it's not tied into the main story yeah. where you would think that the you know Harry Connick Jr. serial killer, whatever his name is, is guiding this story the way that Hannibal Lecter does, but that is totally unrelated yeah, to everything it, else. It just happens. And so you have this like emotional shock on these characters while they're going through this investigation. And I just like that detail so much. I like when movies do things that are unexpected in unexpected ways. And so I appreciate that. And Holly Hunter and Sigourney Weaver are two of my favorite actresses. I just love so, them in everything. So well against each other. But I do remember seeing this and just being shocked that Sigourney Weaver, you know, this is Ellen Ripley from Alien. She is this badass. And she can't even leave her apartment, but how the camera work shows how the hallway looks to her mm -hmm. from her point of view with her agoraphobia, it is yeah. out of like something you would not expect. The one dumb and obvious problem, though, that the movie has for me is, of course, in her big heroic moment, she has to leave her apartment. She has to conquer her fears, yep. which is, you know, screenwriting 101. Of course, she has to conquer her fears. But... Agoraphobia or any other phobia is not something you're just going to push through. And this isn't just a casual half brag, oh, I'm afraid of clowns. Like, first of all, no, you're not. You're not afraid of clowns. Anyone who says they're afraid of clowns, they're they're just saying it. They're they're basically bragging to just sound like it's cool that they're afraid of something stupid. Like, you're not afraid of clowns. Yeah. This type of agoraphobia is like she passes out, she like hugs the wall and, and is unable to move this is actual fear which is where the phobia part comes in yeah in the case of my friend if she saw as she did her kid holding a harmless snake if that snake was not harmless and her kid was going to be bitten she would not overcome her phobia all of a sudden and rush in and be a hero yeah if phobias don't work like yeah, that genuine phobias real phobias do not work if you just power through it with yeah. your, your you know your hard work it doesn't work that way right and so they have to have that dumb moment of course and now she's cured i mean we're not health experts so who knows but it just comes off as never mind reality like again i don't like arguing about things not being realistic reality in a movie is the reality that the movie establishes if they work within those parameters if they don't break their own reality then fine we always mention fast and furious mm -hmm. they have established how physics work in this universe that's <laughs> fine family as long as you don't break the rules that you've established it's fine and so i'm not going to say like oh that's not realistic you know i'll try to not get hung up on that but from a movie watching perspective it just comes off as obvious and i don't want something to be obvious to where i just sort of roll my eyes and say of course this is what's going to happen Payoff and setup is great in films. 
But when it's super obvious, it becomes shrug worthy. I will say, minus the question of taste, the idea of copying famous killers is kind of neat because every victim is different. You know, every style of killing is different. It adds a lot of variety to the movie. It's not just copying Zodiac or whatever. Mm -hmm. If this movie, if Copycat was made with other actors, who knows where I would fall? Like, maybe it wouldn't be as good, but Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter are great. I like them so much. Harry Connick Jr. is creepy as hell as the serial killer. Uh, as was well the one from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. The beginning, and they do a weird thing though, where he's meant to have like a chipped tooth, and it's so clearly just painted. He's talking into the camera because it's a video chat, and you can plainly see that it's just painted, and so it looks like he has a black line on his teeth. That's not how a gap works, <laughs> you know. Um, it's a good movie. It's like you said, there is that part of taste where. If the killer is copying real-life killers, and these are how their victims are, well, those victims' families are probably still alive. Those killers might still be alive. We've had copycat killers in real life before. Copycat's a fun movie. It's great, but I'm going to still have to cut it. Copycat is one of those movies where I would usually probably say that I'd hang on to it for now. But realistically, yeah, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and cut it now because I know what else is on here. American Psycho is the Christian Bale movie, of course. Not the sequel. Oh, God. (laughs) <laughs> well, that was a, a sequel in name only. They they tacked that on later, but we're not going to get into that yes. because who cares? I'm not amazed they did a sequel because... All because kinds money. Of, yeah, money, but still the idea of... Did you guys not actually watch the first movie and see yeah. how this was going to work? Yeah. Christian Bell is fantastic. It's an 80s set movie where he is some sort of power broker. I'm not exactly sure if he's a banker or what his job is. Yeah, I don't um, know if they even know what their job is. They mostly talk about their business cards. The movie is a satire of 80s capitalism where he is obsessed with how he looks, how he's presented, the quality of his business cards. Like he has a panic attack essentially because somebody has a better looking business card than him. And it's like six guys, like five or six guys. I've seen parodies of this all over the internet. They're like looking over his car like this is like 100% linen and both sides. And they're just staring like this is priceless gold. He's like, oh my God, there's a watermark. And you see like a bead of sweat on the side of his temple. (laughs) There is a watermark on my enemy's business card. He's better than me. Meanwhile, most people, I mean, nowadays, no one really has business cards. But in the 80s and 90s, this was like... Identity. This was your big thing. This was your Facebook page and all your social media in one card. So there's two big things to talk about with American Psycho. Sexism. And if that's even the right word, actually, the brutality of women, we'll just say sexism for now. Yeah. Uh, Sexism and then the perception of reality, which is questionable, which is actually one of the things that makes the movie interesting. But let's talk about the the women part because (laughs) the book was a bit controversial for its treatment of women. And so they actually had a female director and female screenwriter. The studio purposefully hired women to make the film to sort of counter- the accusation towards the the material of sexism or there's got to be a better word than that but the women in the film are being murdered i mean they're pretty much faceless women at this point aren't they they're they're not like characters they just exist to be his victims there are some caricatures like i'm not offended by reese witherspoon being well, no, his I mean, ignored but, girlfriend but they're not like his victims are not the story's not about them they exist only in relationship to what he can do to them i kind of think that the feeling of brutality is very similar again to pulp fiction to where i mean he kills jared leto too and nobody cares because it's jared leto but because it's handled what morbius was going to be well that scene is humorous Mm -hmm. i'm gonna cut your joke oh my god (laughs) the scene where he kills jared leto is humorous he's doing the huey lewis shuffle it's a a brilliant scene (laughs) it's funny christian bell should have gotten an oscar nomination but i don't think people realized back then that that he is uh i don't know welsh i'm not sure exactly where he's from but he's not American, and so 
that accent, that performance is so good. But kind of like with Russell Crowe and The Insider, people didn't know who he was yet in real life. So they didn't realize how much of a transformation it was. Mm -hmm. But the Jerry Little scene is humorous. The scenes where he is having sex with and murdering the women are not humorous. And I think that's the big difference. I think because you watch that and it's stomach turning like, oh my God, this is cruel what he's doing to these women. Mm -hmm. But Jared Leto is played more for like, okay, it's kind of funny. Yeah. And and so I don't know if the film or or book are necessarily like uh, a sexist in any way. It's not for me to decide. But when I watch the film, I don't get a sense of he's specifically being cruel to women. He kills men too. He kills cops. He kills everyone pretty much that he wants to. He tries to. to shove a kitten into an ATM. <laughs> I, I I remember mostly the scene besides the you know the brutality with the women. I don't know if it's with the the threesome, but where he's like looking at his reflection, like kissing his bicep. Yeah, he's watching himself and, when he's having sex. And like this is literally masturbation to you. He's just watching himself and how he looks. He doesn't care about anyone but himself. And in relation yeah. to how they are to him, the dude with the watermarked business card is only important because it makes Christian Bale's character feel slightly worse about himself. He is obviously having some sort of psychological break, never mind because he's a killer. But then that leads into the second main point to talk about is the reality of the film where is he a killer? Because the movie makes it seem like he may or may not be actually doing these things. Because when he kills Jared Leto, several people afterwards swear that they've talked to his Jared Leto's character and seen him. Yeah. But part of that gag is everyone looks alike. They all look, <laughs> they all look exactly they, they, they even play with some of the names in the movie to where different people are misrepresented as other people. But then also, too, at the end, when he goes to where the, some of the bodies are, it's a clean, empty apartment. Is it that it didn't happen? Or is that yet another statement on capitalism in the 80s in New York? Because if you watch the realtor, you could draw from it that she cleaned it up because the value mm. of an apartment in New York. is so insane that it's, okay, whatever, people yeah. die everywhere. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. So are people accidentally covering <laughs> for him? <laughs> That'd or, be actually hilarious. Or is he not doing it? Because there's one part in the film where um, he's trying to get away from the cops. And granted, this was the 80s, so security cameras were different and no internet. So maybe he actually could just run away. But he shoots at the cop car and the cop car explodes. And he has this quizzical look on his face and he looks at the gun like, He's realizing, wait a minute, something's like he's in the Matrix. Like something's not right here. But on the flip side, mm-hmm. if you shoot the right spot, maybe a car, happen. maybe. Yeah. But I think the cop car exploding is the giveaway that it's not real. This is just a, not even a Matrix. It's his fantasy of what he's maybe thinking of doing mm-hmm. when he's really sitting down and looking at someone's yeah. business card or in any of these horrible meetings he goes to that he doesn't mm-hmm. care about. He checks out and this is his other life. Yeah. Like when he has the threesome and the women leave, it's very brief, but you can see it. They look like they've been beaten. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the reality. I think that he is abusive, but I don't know that he's a killer. I love the idea of the realtor hiding bodies just because of the value of the apartment. For that to be true, that means most of what you've seen also has to be true. That means the cop car explosion and the other murders. Because like he drops a chainsaw from a stairwell, I don't know, eight floors up, maybe, yeah, whatever. God, it's terrifying. And hits her. But that's possible. You know, it's possible, but then you're but like, it's, but it's also not very realistic. If you're standing up and somebody drops a chainsaw on you, how does it go into your abdomen? So there's there's weird little reality breaks like that that go beyond it's a movie. Like the position of the chainsaw, I think, is specific to this couldn't happen, <laughs> which feeds into it being not real. Most of it is mind, yeah. I like the idea better that it is real and everyone is just oblivious. <laughs> they all covered but if, up for it. If you ask if you were to ask me just yes or no make a decision, I would say it's in his head. Which is disappointing. Yeah, I would agree it's in his head, but what an active imagination, man. 
I mean, when you think about it, it does make a lot of sense because who among us doesn't sit there sometimes and just think, even if I had superpowers, I would just blow your head up or I would just I am going to slowly back away. (laughs) I would just like (laughs) to take this thing and just drive it through your skull. Sure, right, right. Hypothetically, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Terry. He's he's itching away. I think all of us have that capacity. I'm going to have to cut all of this. (laughs) All of us have that capacity and the imagination that Patrick Bateman does. I don't think all of us have the capacity to actually do it. Well, never mind. Think about it. Well, no, not even that with Patrick Bateman. I think he believes it. So even if it is fantasy, I don't think he knows it's fantasy. Because like when he calls screaming and crying and confessing on that voicemail or whatever to Mm -hmm. whoever he calls, he's really doing that. He thinks yeah. it's all real. He but thinks it's real. He doesn't. That's that's the the whole mind blow of it. That as far as he's concerned, it's real. He's doing all these things. And the only time he's confused is when the cop car blows up. That's the only yeah. time where he's like, "Wait a minute, huh? Something's uh, not right." Something's here. yeah. Overall, though, uh, it's not the most enjoyable film. It's good, but it's that performance. Christian Bell is in nearly, if not every single scene. It's his movie, and Willem Dafoe is great. Do Do you know the trivia about how they filmed Willem Dafoe's scenes? No. So Okay, so Willem Dafoe plays the cop that's investigating things that are happening. When Willem Dafoe is talking to Patrick Bateman and asking him questions about like where he was on certain times and certain nights, they filmed it three different ways. One where Willem Dafoe thinks that Patrick Bateman did it, one where he's oh. not really sure, and one where he has no suspicion at all. And oh, in the editing, cool. they mixed them all together. And so you never really get a sense of what the cop thinks about Patrick Bateman. Just what Patrick Bateman is somewhat maybe thinking or fantasizing about. Yeah, Yeah, it's very interesting. That's good. American Psycho is absolutely worth watching at least once. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Whether or not you'll love it or watch it a second time, (laughs) that's harder to say. I am not crossing it off yet, but I'm slightly leaning towards the possibility of it not making it only because of, uh, well, two specific other films. But... I'm not crossing it off yet. It's a maybe. The business card only goes so far for me. That's what I mostly remember. I remember the the bits and pieces with the bloody gore and the ultra violence. Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, flashing back and the apartment's clean. And watching that for the first time, I thought, is that even the same apartment? Is that, okay, maybe I need to watch this part again because maybe they're just going to a whole different area. If everything's interchangeable, maybe the bodies are in the next door or something. Mm -hmm. I just keep thinking of that business card scene where he's sitting there and sweating, not about <laughs> killing people, not about feeding a kitten into the ATM or dropping a chainsaw, but he's looking at this dude's business card like, that's it's beautiful. He, it's beautiful. Like All of the internal monologues, all yes. of the 80s-ness of it where he's talking about his daily routine and his, his moisturizers and his exercise. <laughs> oh I love all of that stuff. I love it is so, the character and his in- performance. Interesting character, but you get the feeling Dr. Lecter would look at him and be like, wow, you're rude. I got to kill you. Patrick Bateman is somewhat oblivious, maybe, because again, we don't know what's real or not. Yeah. He's definitely off his rocker, whether it's real or not. Obviously, if it's real, definitely. But if it's fake, he's somehow believing these things to be happening. So that's a whole can of worms. That's a whole other very unfortunate, scary can of worms. I'm going to cross it off just because I see what else is on this list. Well, I am going to cross off Monster. And I want to get your thoughts on that. This is the one I mentioned earlier where, based on real people, but they renamed her love interest because a love interest person in reality is uh, T. Moore. I can't pronounce her first name. It's like Tyria or something like that. But Christina she Ricci. She doesn't want her name associated with the case at all. So legally, they couldn't use her okay. name or yeah, like this. I don't care. That's fine. Which was just kind of interesting because everything else for Eileen Warnos, they didn't really keep either. They kept her adult life. They kept her victims. But they cut out... 
all the messed up stuff that happened to her before the movie started. So you have no sense of why things turned out so bad the way they well, did. that doesn't matter. Like, I don't care what happened to her before. That, that's not an excuse or even a cause. I'm going to tie this into Natural Born Killers really quick because they added backstory in Natural Born Killers that was not there originally to try and make the person sympathetic. Monster, is that the only one on this list that's actually based, besides Zodiac, that's based on a real person? Yeah, unless you're going to do the weird stretching of the truth where it's like, oh, this character is based on Ed Gein. Like, oh, no, yeah, that's... No, I'm not doing that. Yeah. So, no. Tell us the plot, though. Like, what is Monster about? Monster is about one of the, I guess, most notorious female serial killers in the U.S. I believe she was out of Florida, and she was a prostitute who killed almost all of her male clients because the first one raped her, so she drew a gun and she killed the guy. Wasn't it about seven? Did she kill seven people? Or was was it more than that? But But I can't remember exactly. I don't know their names. That's the thing about serial killers. You know serial killers. You know spree killers. Be damned if most people can name off any of their victims unless you're relatives to them. Oh, yeah. I mean, that still happens today with shootings, too. But uh, who plays Eileen Warnos? I forget. Oh, my God. No. I you know, know. Honestly, I, I was trying to hand you like, that. I didn't expect I like, you to draw no, a blank. Honestly, it was, it was, I was like, I'm trying to... I was it's like, Charlize Theron. Yeah. And this was an era, which it still happens today, but there was a particular era in the late 2000s and early 2010s. There were several instances of very beautiful actresses quote, going ugly and, you know, take Hollywood, that out. Not Hollywood, Hollywood ugly, Hollywood yes, ugly. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making a judgment on how women look. I'm just saying, like, this is just how it's perceived, okay? If someone like Charlize Theron, who was a model, quote again, uglies herself up, it's to win an Oscar. Holly Berry did it, Monsters Ball, won an Oscar. Charlize Theron got the Oscar for Monster. And then Jennifer Aniston tried it in the movie Cake. They all have tried it in this era. Did it work? For some of them, it did. There is a bit of that cliche, but that being said... Charlize Theron is great. Oh, my God. She's amazing. But let's also be clear here. Eileen Warnos had that kind of dangerous intensity to her that if you look at her the wrong way, she's going to kill you. And they make her look unwashed as well in the film. My problem with the film is I don't think Christina Ricci is good in it. I've normally liked her, but I really just don't think she's doing a good job at all. I don't know if it's the the fake accent or inability to to emote. I have no idea. (laughs) But she's terrible in it. And the movie is a little too, it is not a happy film. And, and I like I like some unhappy films. Yeah. But it is not it's happy not at all. pleasant. And it is gritty and dark. A dark, sad movie. And, and I'm not saying I'm sympathetic towards Eileen Warnos because I'm not. I don't care what happened to her in her childhood or teenage years. That's not an excuse for her actions. I'm not going to sympathize with you. I'm sorry. Don't kill people. The movie is just a total downer. It is not a happy or pleasant film. You don't feel good after watching it. Just like Monster's Ball. Monster's Ball is great, <laughs> but you don't feel good after you watched it. If you watch Monster or Monster's Ball and you're like, wow, the world is a yeah. great place. You uh, need yeah. some help, baby. And it's it's sort of an if this, then this situation because if Christina Ricci was better or a different actor, maybe it would be okay. Because like you can walk away from Requiem for a Dream, which is horrifically unpleasant, mm-hmm. and still love it. But Monster, one good actress is not going to necessarily elevate a depressing story if you don't have a support system of another good actress. <laughs> That's true. But there, I mean, not entirely based exactly to life, but we don't want that again. This is a fictional version of Eileen Warnos. Yeah. She was caught pretty much the same way in real life. And she wasn't doing these killings just because she wanted to or because she was driven or because she was having fun. She did this one because... She was attacked and raped by her first victim. So she saw most of the other guys as just continuations mm-hmm. of that. And she was trying to make a good life for her and her girlfriend, the Christina Ricci character. I mean, there's scenes in the movie where they're, they're really hard to watch because she goes for a job interview. And here's this extremely violent woman sitting there. And you can tell like she's one 
bad comments oh, away she from just looks exploding. like she's about to snap like she looks like she's gonna kill you just for like smirking at her you yeah. might not be looking at her you're looking at stuff on your phone and laughing but she thinks you're doing it to her and she's gonna pull out the shotgun mm-hmm. patrick bateman looks smart and suave she is the well, patrick bateman is smart and suave but there's also a, a, a satire comical yes. element to american psycho there is no satire or political statement of any kind really no, but in in monster it, it's still Strikes me as funny that something like Natural Born Killers, that I think that's the only other one on the list that has a female serial killer on it, right? Well, technically, they're not serial killers and Natural Born Killers. But well, they're spree killers, yes. Right. That's semantics. I know. I, I put it on yeah. the list because it's a good movie. Not to tip my hand towards what I might pick, but yeah, it's on here because I wanted to talk about it. Spree versus serial, we, we can go on and discuss that forever, but you can Google it yourself. But the point is that Eileen Warnos, she had, and I know you can say the backstory doesn't matter. Backstories sometimes do in this case, horrific childhood. Her parents were teenagers. Her dad was a child molester who killed himself in prison. She had bad issues even as a kid. Lived with her brother, like, abandoned by her grandparents for a while. And then escaped and got to Florida. The only life she really knew was being a prostitute, forced or unforced, trying to survive and having no social right. skills right. And, and no education to get her any kind of real job. Right. And backstory matters in a movie, sure. This is the he, real he, person I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, exactly. But like, I would be sympathetic towards someone who went through those things, but not as an excuse for murder. Kind of like, yeah, well, not- hang on. If you read up on the early life of Aretha Franklin, she could have been put on the same path as Eileen Warnos as well, but she made music. She didn't kill people. And so but I'm sympathetic changed? towards what, what her life. What was the difference? Where did she get the music help from? Was okay, she I have no church? idea. That doesn't matter. The point is, like, I'm not going to be sympathetic once you start killing people. Oh, no, I'm not saying there's an excuse for it. I say this is an explanation why things went so wrong for Eileen, but not necessarily for Aretha. Maybe Aretha had a church to support her, so she started singing in church. I'm not saying that what Eileen is justified. I'm saying that what she did was not. She was murdering people. The first guy was probably an asshole victim. The other ones overall were not. But then why are you bringing up stuff that's not in the movie? It should have been. I'm saying that would have humanized enough to make you I don't go, need her humanized. She's a murderer. I know she's a murderer, but so is life. everyone else on here. She's a real life murderer, though. Okay. Here's the point. If they're going to put backstories into other movies, like we did with Red Dragon, like they did with other movies where it shows this is partially what happened, not necessarily to blame, not to excuse, but this is what might have set this person down this path. They could have chosen to get off at any point, provided there was a choice. In this case, Eileen is a monster, I guess, to do the title drop. I don't like the title, by the way, but, but go ahead. Yeah, the title was pretty bad. There's like a thousand movies called Monster, and they're all yeah, just doing terrible, like, low-budget things. It's like calling a movie Creature. Monster Creature from Florida. As again, too many movies. I'm going to cross it off. Based on a real person, they got a lot of the details right, and I don't think she's... I mean, she's a tragic character, but I can't excuse what yeah. she did. Well, I feel like I keep saying this to you about books, but like real life, too. Tell me about the movie. The who movie, cares about who the, cares about real life? No, or, the movie was good. The movie covered a lot of stuff, but like you said, it's dark, depressing. It's not going to make you feel positive or feel anything but this kind of I got to go take a shower afterwards. Kind of like American Psycho though. Monster is Charlize Theron's movie. There are some scenes with just Christina Ricci mm-hmm. arguing with people or whatever, but you spend the entire time with Charlize Theron just about. I don't need that backstory. You can still sympathize with her because you see present day life being horrible. The grit in Monster, though, the reality, like selling this as real life, whether it's true to life or not, but selling it as real life is just 
unpleasant. I, I've said before I wish my vocabulary was better, but but that's just the word. Like unpleasant, unpleasant like, is it, good because you see people like her, maybe not exactly like Eileen Warnos every day, mm-hmm. but you see someone who is going to snap at some point. And the best thing you do that you can do usually is get away from them, but that doesn't mean you always can. Yeah. And part of you, like in the job interview stuff, you want to say to her, just knock it off. Just and calm down, but then she's going to aim the like, gun at you. It so. feels like in the movie, not a judgment about real mm-hmm. life, don't get angry, but like it feels like she's doing it to herself. And like, that's part of it. That is, she's on a self-destructive path. Yeah. She even mentioned that to the Christina Ricci character who says, I thought you didn't like girls. And her response is, I don't like anyone, but I like you. Mm-hmm. That's it. She does. She's not attracted to men or women or pretty much anyone, just that one yeah. person. And I think to me, going back to that word you used of sympathy, I do see reasons to be sympathetic in her present day life. You see how sad and unhappy and miserable she is. And anything she tries, well, she doesn't have the skills to pull it off. Hannibal Lecter famously says, you know, nothing happened to me, I happened. Ignoring most of the crap in Hannibal Rising, Hannibal Lecter was still a pretty well-off, mostly well, rich, rich, white dude who could go to college, go to different places, get educated. Eileen Warnos probably doesn't even have her high school diploma. She doesn't do or have anything beyond her body. And once that gets brutalized, she pretty much says, screw this. I may as well just do whatever I want. Yeah. I guess the lesson is don't kill people. Yeah, that, that's a good lesson. Yeah, but good that's lesson. a lesson that kind of goes with everything on this list. I mean. <laughs> yeah, just just don't kill people. <laughs> don't kill people. If you see someone who's struggling like this, you can try and get them help, but we're not going down that yeah. path. Yeah. And again, just to clarify before anyone listens and thinks I'm a total jerk, sympathy towards a film character, doesn't matter if it's based in real life, this is still a movie is not the same thing as sympathies in real life. So we're not talking about somebody in real life needing help, okay? We're talking about yeah. how we're supposed to feel about a character. That's and different. This, this character is angry. It is somewhat sad that the only time she actually got busted is when she was trying to, you know, make a life for herself and her girlfriend. Her girlfriend actually turned her into the police, rightfully so. You know, you don't ride or die if your, you know, spouse is a serial killer. But some people <laughs> do. Some people do. I'm just saying there's only Family. one... <laughs> there's only one couple i know serial killer wise that actually stayed together and didn't turn on each other are you talking about the honeymoon killers like the, the lonely the, hearts the, killers lonely hearts they use like the classified ads yes yeah pretty much everyone else a turned whole bunch on of each movies other. about them there's at least a couple every off the, yeah. every other couple that was ever into serial killing or spree killing turned on each other at some point i'm just saying it's kind of sad for eileen warnos that this was the one time she was trying to make something better for someone else that she loved and it just Went even worse. I'm crossing it off, but I can still understand why things happened. Just to double back real quick, I'm going to go ahead and cross off American Psycho now that we've talked through it a little more. Go ahead and get rid of it now. <laughs> so since we mentioned it, let's talk about natural born killers, which again, they're technically not serial killers, but they do murder a whole lot of people. They're spree killers. And didn't Quentin Tarantino, he did the screenplay for this? He wrote it, but then who knows how much was changed by Oliver Stone because it was directed by Oliver Stone. All the backstory was for Mallory. I know that. Oliver Stone made it, and he brought a lot to it, so I don't know how much of it is true to the original script. Tarantino also wrote True Romance, and I'm pretty sure that True Romance is pretty close to the words that were on the page. But Natural Born Killers, I think Oliver Stone went over it again because there's so much of his fingerprints on this. Like He has a a style and flair. Mm -hmm. Whether you agree with his politics or not, a lot of that came later in life. We're not going to get into that. Natural Born Killers is amazing, and it's one of those movies... Like, we always go to it, we always say Pulp Fiction or Snow White, where there was nothing like it when it came out. You watch it now, you might not be so impressed, especially in the age of YouTube and short videos. Oh, yeah. But back then, the way the film, within the same scenes, will cut back and forth between video, black and white, color, and commercials. 
they put the Coke polar bears yep, in there. In the actual movie. In the movie, and they had to sue over that. But either way, no movie had been made that looked like that. The presentation of the film, the way it's cut, the the style, we're used to the MTV editing style now. But back then... It was so new. It was brand. It was the first one. Nothing like it. You'd never seen a movie like it before. And even today, not a lot of films have, in the, as, as a whole film, have really copied that style. But the way they mix the mediums together, and like when someone says in the beginning... Key lime, it's an acquired taste, and it cuts to a different angle in black and white of her repeating the line. Mm-hmm. And it's so strange, weird handhelds. I have to imagine that it's probably influenced by Twin Peaks because Natural Born Killers came out in, I want to say, 92 or 93. And Twin Peaks was very influential, even though it, of course, you know, crashed and burned pretty quickly in season two. The weird changes of style, like there's a part where Mallory is dancing and there's like a spotlight on her where clearly this isn't reality mm-hmm. and it will mix them up. And there's even a sequence, the flashback, where there's a laugh track and it's shot like a sitcom. Yeah, 50 sitcom style, like David yeah. Beaver. It's just so incredibly original and violent. Ultraviolence is the yeah. name word of the day. Robert Downey Jr. is... Marmy Is he hell. an Australian? He's doing some accent in that. I mean, this is, again, pre-Iron Man days. Mm-hmm. He is such an egotistical, like, he starts believing everything that these serial, that the spree yeah. killers stand for. He's an inside edition type trash reporter. And but he's horrible, but he plays it so well. I mean, and Tommy Lee Jones is just a lunatic in it. Quentin Tarantino did not like the, the laugh track parts, the sitcom in, in parts. The Oliver Stone edition yeah, is correct. The Oliver, and then also, Tommy Lee Jones plays the... Warden. Yeah, yeah. Who plays the detective, the one that's actually after them? Oh... Uh, uh, Tom Sizemore. He was actually, I think, the the Quentin Tarantino version. He was supposed to be more like No Country for Old Men, kind of beat down, world weary, which changes the story, which is probably why Oliver Stone remade all these characters to make it fit as opposed to here's this kind of good guy trying to catch these bad yeah. guys. Because in this movie, you don't like pretty much anyone. This is just a story of assholes. Yeah. And I don't know what the original script was like, but if you've seen anything Tarantino has made, you can absolutely picture a Tarantino movie about a married couple of spree killers. But when you watch Natural Born Killers, there is none of that Tarantino style. The dialogue and characters are there. The pop culture references are there. But there is no way what you're seeing on screen is the way he intended it to be. I guarantee you his version was Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown, people Mm -hmm. in a room talking. It was not the flashy angles, the weird over-the-top Tommy Lee Jones nonsense. Even when characters are driving... They make it look purposefully as if it's being projected, like the falseness is part of the gag. The movie was made as a satire of American media celebrating murderers. I don't know if that was in the original script, because Oliver Stone is a very political, and I guarantee you, at least in the early 90s, he had an opinion about the way American media and news programming was changing. This was before Fox News. This was when we had Entertainment Tonight and Inside Edition, and um, what was the... Hard copy? These Uh, were all, they weren't actually news. They were entertainment shows that usually were on about the same time after the news. They weren't news. It was entertainment stuff. It was Well, even National Enquirer. Yeah, well, pre-TMZ, but like even like National Enquirer type stuff, the way that landscape was changing. And that's what that movie became about because there's no way Tarantino said, put a Coke commercial here. And, And put in the laugh track parts here. Put in all this random fear and loathing in Las Vegas kind of visual mood style. Whiplash. Yeah. Fear and loathing was like another seven years later. Even that is only a fraction of the style that Natural Born Killers has. Yeah. 
Natural Born Killers, if you watch it not knowing what you're going into, if you just sat down today and said, okay, it's a movie about a married couple that goes on a spree killing across the United States. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is pretty cool. And then you start watching it and instantly you're thinking, okay, is this like a found footage thing mixed with someone's like college project? This is not a straightforward linear movie. It doesn't make a lot of sense. A lot of people hated the style. It's overbearing and shocking. And if you're looking for just the straight spree killer going on a rampage, it's not this movie. Yeah, it's not about celebrating the crime. It's about celebrating the criminals. It's about how the media loves them. And how the Robert Downey Jr. character, he's the, you know, one of the the reporters, reporters. And he is playing these two up. He's like making them almost icons. Like these guys. gods. These... People, they do exactly what they want to do whenever they want to do it. They're awesome. We do know all the serial killers. We know the people who shoot up marketplaces. We know the yeah. people who do all the stuff. We don't know the victims. We don't remember the victims. Yeah. We don't really care about well, them. Well, and, and you can even apply it to just celebrity culture on its own. Like, look at the way we treated Miley Cyrus and Britney yeah. Spears. They're not, well, hopefully they're not murderers, but it's very similar in this. It's almost idol worship. I know you like to bring up deleted scenes. There is an uncut version of it, which uh, puts in... Uh, just a little bit of gore, things like Tommy Lee Jones's head on a stick, some things yeah. they had to cut because the content is extreme already. At the end, when they escape from the, from the prison, they actually escape with this quiet prisoner who befriends them. Yep. And then in the theatrical version, you never see him again. They never explain where he went. And so there is a deleted scene showing where he went. So it's not that big of a deal. I never really cared. Well, um, in the original ending, he escapes with them. And she pretty much tells him, you're nothing, you're garbage, piss off. And he shoots her dead. This quiet prisoner ends up killing both of them. So there is no happy ending with them driving off in an RV with their family. I only know about the version where they kill him and like throw him out the van. The big thing with these spree killers is they always leave one survivor. They always leave one witness. And so the end has them escaping the prison. They've got Robert Downey Jr.'s, you know, reporter character. And he's all happy. He's like, yeah, this is so cool. I'm going off with them. And they go to kill him, and he freaks out. Like, I mean, we're talking full-on blubbering on his knees, like, please, oh, God, don't do this. And Mickey tells him, dude, we are leaving a survivor. We're leaving your camera. It's filming everything. And he's like, oh, crap. Now just shut up and be a man and accept this. Kind of an interesting, sad take on the end. The sitcom cutaways. I knew Rodney Dangerfield was a comedian, but Mm -hmm. I'd never seen him or watched any of his specials or anything like that. So hearing he was a comedian and this great funny guy, and I get no respect... The first time I actually saw him in a movie was in Natural Born Killers. (laughs) Where he's painted up as the devil and there's fire behind him. Okay, I must have something wrong with me because I don't think this is funny at all. (laughs) Yeah, that's the point. I I know this guy plays a comedian, but I don't think this is funny at all. All of the sitcom black and white, you know, kind of funny, haha, really rubbed me the wrong way, especially finding out later on that that was never intended to be in the movie at all. It was supposed to be that Mickey goes to her family and say, hey, I want to marry your daughter. And then he just blows them away. In but the movie, I, though, I love the sitcom thing. It's hilarious. It's so weird. The part where he goes to kill the little brother and Mallory actually stops and mm. makes you go, that's the first time we actually see one of those, this could definitely cross the line. You're a spree killer. You kill adults. You're going to kill your fiance's little brother just because he's there. They're murderers. I know they are murderers. But again, you're thinking even evil has to have standards, but they don't. They literally have no standards at all. And there's other deleted scenes where they have no problem hurting kids and doing all the stuff that I think they wisely cut. I think the shorter way of saying that is we can only take so much cruelty. We have a line that you can't cross. If Oliver Stone is trying to portray idol worship, you can't make the characters unlikable. We have to We have to like their charisma and their energy to enough of an extent to where we can excuse the people that they do kill on screen. 
That's true. And killing a little kid dressed as a Kiss character. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's going to make even the people who don't like Kiss go, well... I like Kiss. Kiss is I, great. I kind of like them, but then they shot an eight-year-old in the face, so... I'm going to keep it for now. It's Same a, here. It's a stylistic, like, yeah. just road to madness. I can imagine nowadays it not having much of an impact. It would be like watching Toy Story 1. Toy Story 1 is a great movie, but if you watch it now, yeah. no part of you is going to be amazed <laughs> by watching a CG animated film. But you've seen this before. Because, so. yeah, you've had, all, you've had decades to see other CG movies. It's not a big deal. So that wow factor is not going to be there in that regard. The mixed media and the quick cutting, we are used to. And so it's not going to have as much of an impact because back then there was nothing at all like it. And we've had a lot of years of similar enough things to where... Or just social media. Even even just uh, mashups. I've seen, you know, Lazy Town with rap music. <laughs> you know, it's not going to have that that impact anymore. It's like the T-Rex coming out of the pen in Jurassic Park. If you saw it when it was new in 93, it was mind-blowing because there was never anything ever ever like it and same thing with natural born killers no movie had been made with that style before ever but now yeah yeah, it's still cool like i I would use the word cool but it's also you've seen this or other effects that are similar and greater the presentation was such a big part of of its connection to audiences like me people like me love it because it was mind-blowing like you can still like the story and the characters and still like the movie but the presentation isn't going to hit you the way it hit me. I will say, just to tie back a little bit to Silence of the Lambs, we've seen so many movies where the, the dude is on the floor, you think he's dead, but in this case, it's really Hannibal Lecter. But for audiences in the theater, I remember talking to someone who saw it for the first time in the theater. He said the scene where you saw Hannibal Lecter actually get up in the ambulance mm-hmm. and rip the face off and you realize who it is. He said everyone in the theater started screaming. Even that probably wasn't even the first time it was done, but done on the big screen was such a story. In such a good movie that had such a cultural impact yeah. and won a bunch of awards. Yeah. So like now we all know it. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not crossing off Natural Born Killers yet. I'm hanging on to it. It has a pretty strong likelihood of making it. I'm going to hold on to it for now, but we'll see. Let's go ahead and talk about Zodiac. And I have mixed feelings about Zodiac because I think it's great. In fact, brilliant. I, I love Zodiac. But I never want to watch it again. <laughs> We've had other movies like this, haven't there? Well, like- Schindler's List is the go-to example of the same thing, where it's great, but I just don't want to ever see it again. I don't want to cross it off because, honestly, never mind like the the premise of our show. If you <laughs> were to tell me just straight up, other than Silence, what is the best movie on this list? Not personal favorite, just the best movie. It's Zodiac. Zodiac's the best movie on this list, other than Silence, of course. I'm just sitting here watching him go deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole. Yeah. Seriously. Obviously, going into Zodiac, you know, based on a real story, as close as they can get, Zodiac was a real killer. Yeah. Possibly killers, we don't know, because they never found the guy. Yeah, they never caught him. And they fibbed some details about the main characters on the investigation. That's fine. Don't go down that, please. I I don't care about real life. I remember watching Zodiac and knowing it was going to be kind of a dry movie because there is no flashy, we caught the guy, here's all of his victims, here's all the stuff that you get with a lot of other serial killer movies. Stuff about Gacy, Dahmer. You can have a little flash to that because we have the guy. We know the details. Mm-hmm. We know the motivation. Zodiac, we know nothing. We don't even know what the guy looked like. Real quick, too, actually, the last two movies we have to talk about are Zodiac and Seven, both by director David Fincher. So Zodiac is the only movie I can ever remember watching this movie, getting up at one point, picking up my encyclopedia of serial killers, <laughs> sitting down with it, opening up to Zodiac, and finding out what year we were in in the movie so I could see how long the movie was. This is the most boring serial killer movie I can ever put wow, down to film. Wow, I would never say boring. Oh my God, it's there so- were There were a few tense moments, 
but I don't like any of the characters. I'm not interested mm. in any of the story. Wow. This is one of the most like infamous unsolved U.S. crimes ever. Watching the movie, I was bored. Really? I, I love the characters? I would rather watch Hannibal Rise in the Zodiac ever again. Good God, no. <laughs> so Zodiac um, has Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, Jake Gyllenhaal, and a whole bunch of other people. A lot of Marvel people. Oh, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> I think the characters are fascinating. And watching you know a reporter search and fail, watching a cartoonist just get deeper and deeper than he ever should, the dialogue drives it so well. It's so interesting just watching people talk about this guy and trying to figure it out. And then the brutality of the killings. It's like the least splashy serial killer movie ever. The murders are shown in such a flat, matter-of-fact way, like this is just what's happening. That makes it scary. The ones where no one survived, those are the ones where the attacks are kind of more distant because they don't know exactly and, what happened. And just like Jaws again, that's what makes it scary. Like you could see it happening this way. When bad things happen in real life, they don't happen the way you see them in movies. These scenes are shot in a way where you could actually imagine that happening that way. They use CG to recreate the streets from that era. And you cannot tell. It looks like when you're watching like a 70s New York movie. and like, oh, that's New York in the 70s. It looked like San Francisco in the 70s. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. very good. And you can't fault them for that. It just looks awesome. But it's still so Okay. It's two hours and 40 dry. minutes long. It is dry as hell. And this is someone again. I don't study serial killers because, oh, there's misunderstood people. No, I study You study them, them because you want to know how to get away with it. No, because the ones we capture, they usually make horrible, stupid mistakes, like, you know, letting their victims go or, or something Or they want to get caught, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but we never caught Zodiac. We don't mm -hmm. know if Zodiac was one person or multiple people. Could be copycats. We don't know. There might have just been all these murders that were unrelated to each other. The movie, to me, was just so boring. There were a few, like, intense scenes. Like, most houses in California don't have basements. Well, I do. Okay. And there's a creek upstairs. Yeah, and then like- Are you sure goes, you're alone? It goes like nowhere. And I'm like, okay, well, we already know they're not going to catch the guy, but it doesn't have to have them catching the dude. The characters to me just are kind of boring. They're dull. I don't really care about anything they're doing. At least it's not like From Hell or The Black Dahlia where this famously unsolved crime is solved in the movie. Yeah. That's some nonsense. With hesitation, I am going to cross it off though. Because again, we're weighing favorite and best and important. I think not wanting to revisit it says a lot. I'm dropping it. Last is what is arguably the other King serial killer movie of the 90s. The not reigning King. No, no. King as in the reigning champion, because Silence of the Lambs was also in the 90s. It was 91. So the other great serial killer, famous serial killer movie of the 90s, Seven. Seven is infamous for the, the final scene, the ending of it, right? Right. Cops trying to stop a serial killer. It's not a happy ending. That's it. No. It's not a happy ending. It is a shocker. It is a downer ending. But to know that it could have so easily just become another garbage movie. Oh, the bad guy gets caught. We're not talking about Seven as a great film just because of the ending. It's Even if you stop before the end, it's still a great film. Seven is so well put together. Oh, it's great. The, the with the exception of? It's one of the films that established the trope of there never being any damn light switches at crime <laughs> scenes. Turn on the light switch. Every scene they go to is so dark. Like, I love the rain. I love the atmosphere. And I get why they filmed it this way, because it's a movie. Yeah, but, but it's so dark. But first, crying out loud, turn on a damn light switch. Okay, here's the thing. All the victims were like, oh, God, the ways they died. I remember reading one of the behind the scene thing, watching the behind the scenes. The guy that was tied to the bed, the sloth one. They didn't know he was actually, like, alive. They thought it was just, like, a body prop. So when he starts gargling, that's them actually freaking out. Yeah. Because they didn't know there was an actual they person there. They hired a there. super skinny guy. Yeah. Well, I never understood the lust one, though. 
Lust had the dude with the, the knife strapped to his junk, and he has to rape a prostitute to death. She's an embodiment of lust, but she that's her job. It's not as if she's a... Well, we're not going to get into an argument of the validity of prostitution. The movie is saying she has sex for a living. Prostitution is or was illegal and is or was considered a bad thing. Put it in air quotes. We're not it's, getting into that. It's one of but the seven deadly sins, but why would you use another dude to kill her if you're... Because he's, he's a person who would have gone to them for sex, so he is committing lust. If that's the right term. Doesn't John Doe let him live? That's how they find out the story. He doesn't kill him. Yeah, he's punishing the prostitute by killing her and punishing him by making him do it. Gotcha. Like, all the other ones kind of made some sort of... Well, he doesn't even kill the sloth guy that died to a bed. He's alive. Yeah, and that's, like, actually worse. The gluttony, then the... I forget what... No, I know what wrath was. Who else was there? There was the lawyer who has to cut off the pound of flesh. See, the serial killer is doing all the seven deadly sins. I remember lust. I remember gluttony. Sloth. The woman who, I don't the, think that's... The model where yeah. he cuts off her nose and, he, and then glues to her hands a phone and pills. He isn't just murdering them. Some of them he is, like, you know, you're going to eat to death. But he gave her the option to live, you But, know? but the, these are also, like, kind of saw jigsaw options well, where... Well, it definitely influenced the Saw franchise, yeah, 100%. Like, I'm going to give you a chance to live. You're going to mm-hmm. uh, not have a nose, which, even if you're not a model, that's pretty uh, screwed up yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And the there... movie, too, is driven greatly by the performances. Like, you get to know... Morgan Freeman very well and his frustrations and wanting to leave the job. He's he's at the I'm too old for this stage. Yeah, he's not enjoying this. I just got to make it through day by day. Watching it in retrospect, though, the scenes with Gwyneth Paltrow and Morgan Freeman, you can tell what they're setting up. It seems almost yeah. obvious that something bad is coming. But when I saw it in 95, I was surprised as hell by the ending. Yeah, the ending shakes the core of what you think of for a serial killer cop going to catch me kind of movie because they do catch him. But everything is set up the way John Doe wants. Mm-hmm. I didn't do the research before this episode, but they actually wrote a sequel to Seven, and they ended up making it, but not really? with Morgan Freeman. So it wasn't an official sequel. Like they changed the character, they changed enough details. Kind of like Die Hard uh. isn't really a sequel to Commando, but it was. What was the movie? It has Anthony Hopkins in it, and I think Colin Farrell. And Anthony Hopkins would have been Morgan Freeman's character. I do remember reading a little uh, side note: the Gwyneth Paltrow head. Was they reused. Used, yeah, in Contagion. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's actually kind of it cool. It was a good looking head too. Unless you are in the specific mindset of, I want to be depressed by a gritty movie, but it's still an enjoyable movie to watch because as long as you know what's coming. What if there's just a cherry pie in that box and Morgan Freeman doesn't say anything and just sees, <laughs> sees what happens? <laughs> he peeks and he's like, oh. Yeah, that'd be, oh my God, that's so dumb. I might cut that. that. That's a family guy skit, dude. <laughs> it pretty much is. What's in the box? What's in the box? He shoots John Doe and yeah. he's like, oh, it's a cherry pie. My bad. Just the ending of Brad Pitt screaming, what's in the box, makes you go, well, Kevin Spacey stuff aside, he plays that part so well, and maybe that should have been a warning to us how good he was at that part. I know Kevin Spacey is Kevin Spacey, but back then he was becoming a superstar. Having him be uncredited and show up at the end like that was a surprise because Usual Suspects was right before then. Never mind the personal life, the accusations, he is such a good actor. Minus K-Pax. Oh my god, that movie's awful. And Pay It Forward, that one's awful too. But other than that, Kevin Spacey, <laughs> he's so good. Actually, you know what? The Life of David Gale is pretty awful too. Um, but he kind of steals it in the way that Lecter steals it, where the Kevin Spacey character kind of steals the show in the fact that, like Hannibal Lecter, that's who you're kind of not rooting for, but you're interested in him. I don't really care too much about the detectives. They're cool in their way. But 
when he literally just shows up at the police station, hi, I'm here, I, I surrender. It's you're interesting. Like, you're like, that's interesting. The detectives literally didn't have to do like any other work to catch the bad guy. He literally turned himself in. Yeah. Wait a minute, there's still like 30 minutes left of the movie. And the other thing too is that just from a movie watching perspective, having a new actor, a new character show up is a jolt of energy. It gives the movie something else to do. Kind of like in a weird comparison is Tron Legacy when they go to the end of Line Club and you have Michael Sheen acting all crazy, doing his best David Bowie. Like, it's a jolt of energy. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, that's that's a different discussion. But it's just something new and different to introduce to the film. And so as a viewer, you are immediately interested in, in Kevin Spacey and what he has to say. Especially with how he looks. And then you're like, wait a minute. If he's the killer and it's the seven deadly sins, we're still missing a few. So there's more people out there. Mm -hmm. Not quite up there with Silence of the Lambs for me, but it's like right under it. It's like the Duke of it's, it. Yeah, it's so good. I, I don't know if I have really anything that I would change at all about it. The atmosphere in the movie is just... The constant rain. It, it's dark. It's depressing. Even if they catch the guy, it doesn't seem like it's going to end well. And when it comes to gore and violence, too, it's interesting to think about how you only see the aftermath. Other than the yeah. very ending when he shoots John Doe, you never see the violence against these people being committed. You only see photos and crime scenes. If they made it today, I guarantee you they oh. would they would cut to some scene like close-ups of the guy getting force-fed. And in 7, you don't. You only find out about it when the cops do. You never see it happening. I love foreshadowing, don't get me wrong, but yeah, that would ruin something like this. You held on to Red Dragon, which is yep. which is foolish and awkward and dumb. No offense. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to No, 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 no. Red Dragon, <laughs> that's silly. I only have What's on your list? Silence, 7, Manhunter and Natural-born Killers left. And I think we're going to end up in the exact same place because I'm going to go ahead and cross off Manhunter. I love it. Between these, it would be fourth place. That's it. And so I have to cross off Manhunter. So I have my three. Assuming you cross off Red Dragon, I think we're in the same place. Well, the one I'm tied with is one of your favorite movies. So that's where I'm like, eh. What do you I, mean? I want to get out of this place alive, number one. No, no, no. no just, <laughs> just do whatever. But, like, but honestly, like Red Dragon, though, of all the movies, that one? Monster is better than Red Dragon. Zodiac is better than Red Dragon. American Psycho is better than Red Dragon. Copycat is better than Red Dragon. I'm thinking of what you said about Zodiac. Do I want to watch this movie again? Mm -hmm. Seven is staying. Obviously. No problem. Yeah. If I got rid of Seven or not, or Silence of the Lambs, then you'd have reason to like belt me with something. Well, you can get rid of whatever you want, but give me a, an excuse that makes sense to between, an, a rational human yeah, being. Between Natural Born Killers and Red Dragon. You never thought I'd say those two together, right? Oh, God. Which yeah. one do I want to watch again? Which one do I want to sit down and spend the next two hours watching? I'd rather watch Red Dragon than Natural Born Killers. I don't care about Mickey or Mallory. Everyone in the story is a total jerk. It's interesting, but I don't like anyone in this movie. I don't want to sit down and watch this again, like, ever. Okay, fine. Just cross it off. I'm done talking. <laughs> I'm done with this. You know, see, I, I just know that I had a nice, valid reason for keeping Orca, and you cut all of that. Oh, you mean in the edit? Whatever. Um, but describing why it worked so well, you cut all of that because you're like, it's just a ripoff of Jaws, even make fun of it. <laughs> all right. So now that we're done talking about that, finally. Just because you like Manhunter, which is, I mean, you saw that I crossed first. off Manhunter. I know, but I like the Red Dragon version of the Tooth Fairy better. I like the characters better in that one. All right. So make it official. What are your three? My three movies are Seven, Red Dragon, and Silence of the Lambs. As for me, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are... The Silence of the Lambs, Seven, and Natural Born Killers. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter. And we're also on Instagram at ValleyWestCinemas underscore podcast. I'm your host, Aaron. I was joined today by Tara. Thank you for listening.